Craig Chris, just wanted to invite you to the, and welcome you to the uh, next session of the 33 series, book two, with my friends Paul and Colin again. Uh, this, this week we're gonna be talking about man and his story and using your past to pre prepare for your future. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us again with 33 series. Uh, as mentioned in the intro, we're on book two, Man and His Story, with my friends Paul and Colin again. Uh, dive right into the first session, which is talking about looking back. Um, I know that, you know, my past is filled with not good times. I can tell you that much. And let me rather get the first, the first bullet point on my, on my paper here is, using our, our past has shaped us into who we are and will shape our future. And I know that, you know, my past, you know, I've definitely made mistakes in my past, but I've seen looking back how, um, who's the guy that does the Bible at 3,000 feet? Oh, uh, Skip Heitzig. Skip Heitzig, he said, you know, looking back in your past and just think about all the times like, was there ever a time that Jesus wasn't there? You give me something like, look at your past and try to find a day, try to find a time that he wasn't there. And I mean, sometimes, you know, for some people maybe, but for me myself, like there's never been a time where when I was 18 and got in a car wreck, you know, I've been in trouble with my parents before, but he's never been, I've never been in a situation that I was too far gone, never get back. God was always there to pick me up and get me back on my way. It was always faithful. And it's just interesting to look at that and just go, man, you know, how faithful our God is. You know, it's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and one of the things that uh, was in the past shaping us into who we are was when Peter was asked three times, three questions by Jesus, uh, three questions of, do you love me? Be my sheep, do you love me? Um, and how Jesus used those three questions to basically kind of look at, you know, his future was, he was gonna deny Jesus three times. And it's just it's interesting looking back at that and going, you know, he was shaping, even though Peter didn't know that, how God still used that time to, I guess, cover for, or prepare him for that. It's just interesting how that went down. So, um, and then uh, the next point was uh, not being afraid to look back. Um, and one of the things was uh, to be a real man, you have to look back and figure out what has shaped you. Uh, how about you, Paul? What, I mean, in your life, you know, looking back, you know, can, were there points in your life that, shaped you, kind of like directed your future to where you are now? Um, <clears throat> I would say yes. One of those was um, getting a job that was like 35 miles away from my house in Portland. And my friend and I used to work at the same company but different divisions. And so we'd go to the small town McMinnville and we'd go to different parts and um, so after a while, it's like, we should just carpool. Mm -hmm. So I'd pick him up or he'd pick me up, whatever. 
Um, and occasionally we'd race down there on the back twisty roads. <laughs> we, we called it the Shehalem Grand Prix. There you go. Nice. <laughs> and uh, then he got another job at a different company. And so I was like driving back by myself again. And I mean, it's 35, 40, 50 miles or more out of Portland. And there's no radio stations out there. Hmm. Except those darn pesky Christi- Christian radio stations that seem <laughs> oh, to be everywhere. everywhere yeah. And I can remember um, just cruising through the channels one day, and I found this guy talking, and I'm like, well, this is kind of interesting. And I grew up in a church, and the church we went to, we didn't bring the Bible to church, which, I, which for me, I, I remember distinctly walking up to church one Sunday, and it's like, I wonder why we don't bring Bibles to church. You know, just this seventh grader, just kind of out of a clear blue, random thought. Um, so, you know, fast forward back to my story. Um, I started listening to this guy on the radio. And so I'd, you know, kind of tune into him after a couple of days. Like, this guy's pretty good. So I started listening to him every single day driving to work. And then I then I ended up getting a different job, but I, it was still quite a ways out of Portland. So I could pick up the same station. And then I got to the point where I get to work, but his teaching wasn't done. So I would drive around the block mm-hmm. until I could hear the end of it. Wow. And, you know, at the time, it's like I didn't know who this guy was. He was from Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. And then fast forward, I don't know how many years later, um, I'm talking to Pastor Dave, and we ended up here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah, he goes, that's a Calvary affiliate. Like, wow. oh my gosh. You know, it's like, so here I was getting Bible instruction over the radio, you know, just mm-hmm. going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And it's like, that kept my attention. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, kind of pushed me from where I was, comfort zone, um, until trying, when, when my wife and I got married, we started going to try in different churches and we went to three or four. and. I mean, that's going to a different church is stepping out of your comfort zone because it's like you're used to something. And I had gone to a church in L.A. with a friend of mine. I was just like, whoa, that's a little (laughs) much. (laughs) Um, But then coming here, um, the first time we came here, I think there was only one service at the time, orange carpet and sparkles on the ceiling and everything. (laughs) Wow. Awesome. Brown chairs. And uh, we walk out, and it's like, what time is it? Like, oh, my gosh, it's 1030. We were in there for an hour and a half. But it didn't seem like that long at all because we were being taught the word. And just, you know, having heard, I probably wouldn't be at Calvary had I not heard somebody teaching that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, way back when, just driving by myself out in the middle of the boonies in southwest of Portland. So That's awesome. that, was a, that was a big, I guess, big changing point in my life, at least with my faith. Yeah. <clears throat> And then, you know, of course, you know, looking back from 30,000 foot level, I could see where some of the stupid stuff I did after that, you know, it's like where Jesus was there keeping me on the straight path, even though I wasn't a a true believer yet. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up, yeah, there's God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and understand a lot. But in terms of making Christ my personal savior, it's like that had not happened yet. So looking back on that, it's like, man, that's, I got into some stupid stuff that he kept me from a lot more stupid stuff. So. Mm. And thank you for that. I mean, it's pretty interesting to what God, what God uses in your life, whether it's, you know, your parents or a radio station or whatever kind of like pushes you. Yeah. Like, hey, well, go this way a little bit. So my friend Wes, who's got 
jaw cancer. He just had surgery last week. Um, I can remember, because we had started going to Calvary about the time I started working with him. Um, and so he's asking me all these questions. And I'm just like, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know. Because I had no clue. I hadn't studied the Bible at all. And, you know, he's asking these legitimate questions. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to now, it's like, just before I went to surgery, um, we were at breakfast. It's like, Wes, it's like, you know, how was your faith with Jesus? So we had a long discussion at breakfast, and um, he just texted me, was it yesterday, I guess? Showed me some pictures of his jaws all puffed up, and he said, I'll have to tell you this. Um, when I get out and we have coffee again together, he goes, but you saved my life. And so, not physically, but I, you know, I kept pushing him. It's like, what do you, you know, what happens if this doesn't work out, if the surgery doesn't, is not successful, you know, what's going to happen then? So mm-hmm. just kind of push him. That was uncomfortable as heck. Because <laughs> even though it's like we've known each other for years, it's like, you know, most people don't just go, well, so, hey, Colin, um, what happens if you die? Are you going to heaven or hell? You know, you don't just throw that out in normal conversation, <laughs> typically. So it was kind of uncomfortable for me initially. But then after a while, he was ready. He had a ton of questions. And I'm like, you know, I have no idea. Those are really good questions. You know, what? like, how come... God chose the Israelites. No clue. Good question. Mm. And he's run across people that have tried to answer those, mm. and they've given them an answer, and it's just like, you know, that's not, that's not good enough. And so he was happy to hear from me that it's like, you know, sometimes we just don't know this stuff. We have no idea. You know, why is the sky blue? We understand physics behind all that happens, but it's like, why couldn't it be a different color? We don't know. God didn't tell us that and there's some stuff you just have to accept on faith and then we'll find out when we get to heaven mm. well if you're colorblind technically it's not blue well that is very true yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point yeah uh the biggest thing how about i mean we're going to the next point called how about you was there anything any points in your life i mean obviously you worked in a cell phone store and that kind of thing but were there any points in your life that kind of guided you and directed you i guess in your life as a Christian or with your parents, whatever that directed you to where you are now? Um, well, I think for me in my childhood, you know, I think the biggest thing was just when our family moved. Um, you know, we lived in the Seattle area when I was born. And then uh, I was like almost done with grade school. We moved to Boise, Idaho. And then we lived there for, I want to say about six years. So, you know, then through middle school, part of high school, and then we uprooted again. Uh, moved out here to Spokane. And so um, I think I, you know, there are some challenges with that for me, you know, because it was like, as I was settled in Seattle, it was like, I was getting to know, you know, like friends that I trusted. It was like, oh yeah. And you know, a lot of people like, so when I'm here at this church, you know, I'll hear stories from people who are like, oh yeah, like, you know, we grew up together as little kids. Like we knew each other since we were five years old. You know, and it's like, I never, I, I don't have that experience of knowing anyone since they're like five years old. I mean, besides my brothers, of course. Yeah, <laughs> but, that doesn't count. You know, but <laughs> so it's like, I, you know, I kind of envy that like experience that people might have of, you know, like kids in our church, you mm-hmm. know, who've just like, they're literally born in this church and like growing up together. Here they are, you know, 18 years old, 20 years old. Still good friends. Yeah. Still good friends, you know, and it's, that's, and that's amazing, you know, mm-hmm. so that's, that's something that it's like, I want my kids to experience, yeah. so. Anyways, all of that is a roundabout way of saying that, um, yeah, it, you know, having to like come to that place and then moving and then 
And because in Boise, it took me a while to like finally come to this place of not longing to go back to the Seattle area where I had my friends there. And it's like, okay, I'm over that now. Like, okay, let's settle. Let's make those friends and let's and put myself out there and start to make that bond. And then like, we're moving again. And it was just like, <laughs> you know, and then, and then, so by the time I got here to Spokane and like I was halfway through high school, I was checked out. Um, you know, and I was just like, I don't, you know, I don't want to start this all over again. Um, and I, uh, like I had friends back in Boise I wanted to finish high school with and didn't get to do that. Um, and so when I moved to Spokane, you know, I was like super down and depressed. I got shingles, um, Ouch. and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I kind of hit this low where it was like, I knew I needed God. Uh, when I was in Boise, I used to go to this like, uh, youth group that was super like charismatic and. We played like rock and roll worship and I played like the guitar on the team and stuff. And so, you know, like I, and it was more for the fun. It was really more about me getting what I wanted out of youth ministry than actually like going there for God. I mean, I think God used it, of course. Um, But when I was in this, this down season and my, you know, later years of high school, it was like, I think maybe that light bulb came on. It was like, I really need to find a church. I really need to plug and connect. And that's how I landed on Calvary Spokane on the north side um, and uh, started attending that youth group and then um, got, you know, got connected there. And um, and that was when, you know, things really started to turn around for me. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, you know, and it's like and it's not really something, you know, maybe as a kid. Yeah, maybe I was, you know, resentful of my parents, but not like super angry because I, mean, I understood it was it was all work related. Um so, which obviously in this volume two of a man in story, you know, it, it's kind of, it deep dives into like, what was your childhood like? And what was, you know, what was your father relationship like? What was your mother relationship like? Yeah. Uh, which I don't want to jump to ahead, but uh, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I'm a jump good. ahead. Or Spoiler, right. Spoiler, right. alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler yeah. alert. Um, but, you know, and, and so I think in this 33 series as a whole, I like how, you know, because when we talked in our last uh, episode mm-hmm. and we talked about, um, you know, the authentic manhood definition mm-hmm. and then, you know, how we were created by God as men and, and we're created to be cultivators and all that stuff. But I like how it segues into volume two because it's like, okay, cool. We have this authentic manhood definition. Uh, but I think that volume two kind of sheds light on, you know, maybe we often come to these points where it's like, I keep falling into these traps and I'm not like, you know, rejecting passivity. I'm not accepting responsibility. And it's like, why did I keep falling into these patterns? And it almost feels like a therapist, you know, like, <laughs> like, well, tell me about your mom. Like, tell me yeah. about your dad. Yeah, tell exactly. me about your childhood. And it's like, I didn't sign up for a therapy session, yeah. but um, Interesting. it's right. Yeah. Well, just like, just like how with the groups and stuff like that, just you, you being, I don't want to say forced, maybe gently guided to talk about uncomfortable things mm-hmm. you know there's, there was more than one there was more than one day or night that we did it like you know like especially my dad and my mom just i don't want to talk about my relationship with my dad i don't want to talk about my relationship with my mom you know talk about the wounds you know any unresolved issue where a lack of closure adversely impacts and shapes the direction and dynamics of a man's life now and you know having those gaping wounds of being 18, year, 18 years old and writing that suicide letter and having that huge impact on my life, seeing my dad cry and understand, you know, understand that he loves me was a huge point. 
but to like go and go, I, that's the vision of my dad, but to go at the same time, he's not perfect. He needs grace just like you. Mm-hmm. But as, as, a, as, a, as a son, you, uh, you don't want to look badly on your parents. You don't want to look mm-hmm. badly on... You Honor know, your father and mother. Yeah, I just yeah, like, totally. they raised you. They set the foundation for you. But, mm-hmm. you know, they definitely had a, a huge impact on bad or good on your life, for sure. So. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, at least what this this um, this volume of the 33 series really touches on and diving into the man and his story is because it's like, you know, uh, when we fall into those habits of, you know, being passive and not accepting responsibility, not leading and not investing eternally and um, and I think it can oftentimes be uh, an indicator of like, you know, maybe there are these patterns in coping mechanisms we developed from experiences in our childhood upbringing that we may not be aware of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in session one, that was exactly what I talked about, you yeah. know, just like looking back um, on our upbringing yeah. and um and I like how it, you know, and it ties in Romans eight twenty eight. Uh, we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it says that being a real man means we're not afraid to face the past, but to take it head on, admit to our mistakes and forgive anyone we've been wronged by. Yeah. And the biggest thing too is one point on the, that I saw was kind of segue into this is as men, one thing that I know I was guilty of for a long period of time, but on the the big man, muscle, you know, tough guy persona of, you know, we have a tendency to bury the pain of a wound mm. and closing mm. ourselves off to, you know, feeling or the ability to feel. You know, I know mm. myself, you know, bury, you know, I've, there's been times where, you know, burying that bad stuff, I don't want to think about anything sad or angry or I'm just going to bury it deep and act, you know, all tough. I, you know, I can do this on my own little wolf stuff. And which, when in fact everything you're doing is hurting yourself, and that's going to end up, you know, bubbling over on your mom, your dad, your wife, or your siblings, or your whoever, you know, and just how understanding how dangerous, how dangerous that is, and that was one thing for sure that I've been guilty of, and definitely a spotlight, so to speak, that God kind of went here, you know, and that you know that tender spot where it's like how dangerous that is. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's interesting too, cause you brought up things we habitually learn. Um, I'm taking this class right now and he was saying, I think like 93 or 95% of what we know um, is learned. And so this particular part, he's going through leadership. So all this leadership stuff we've learned is completely wrong. Mm. And then he kind of, mm. you know, you've learned it from somebody, but they were from a different generation and now there's like five different generations in the workforce from the baby boomers all the way down to millennials, Gen X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, whatever they're, you know, whatever the next one is. And we learned from command and control people, you know, from World War One, World War Two, um, you know, the greatest generation. And then now everything, everything that worked for them that worked in that time isn't the same now. Yeah. And so we have to kind of unlearn. And I think going through this, you know, we can, as we look back, whether it's comfortable or not, um, we can see where we've learned bad habits or bad things and make a choice to like, Hey, you know, this is not who I want to be. I'm going to do something different. Yeah. 
And you talked about the lone wolf too, and I, I was thinking about that. But wolves operate a lot better in a pack, yeah, <laughs> you know? And I think this, this group we had, this whole series, um, you know, gets to draw men out. It's like you feel more comfortable talking, you know, like that one quote that, that he had. Um, oh, yeah, me too, you know? Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that's You could probably say that to every single guy. It's like, and, you know, they're, they don't want to tell what's this guy going to think about me or what are they going to think about me in this group. And it's like, mm -hmm. hey, man. We're going through the same garbage, yeah. maybe ten times worse because you have we have you have no idea, mm -hmm. and then mm. you find out what people have gone through, and it's like, man, God has just done amazing things for them. If God wasn't there, they would be like dead on the street or some addict or who knows what. So, yeah, totally. All right. Well, going to session two section here was uh, the look at the importance of fathers and the impact on children's lives. Um, how important the father-son relationship is in shaping all of us. I know my dad, you know, growing up, you know, sometimes you had a dad who was there, wasn't, was not there. I know if it wasn't for my dad, you know, they're not changed attire or just like, got, even now guiding and directing me on how to act, the way you should speak, what hard work looks like, you know, um, how to, you know, how to approach and protect your loved ones, whether it's, walking out behind a, a garage with an axe in your hand because the Mormons are at your house. Yeah. And you're basically wanting them to leave, so the only way to leave is force them out by scaring the heck out of them. And that's worked for him to, you know, for that. And just how important it is to, you know, keep your family safe. Mm -hmm. And yeah. how, you know, how... There are some things that I wish I could learn more of, but how important a father, even on a son or a daughter, what kind of effect they have. So, um, and then kind of touches on guys who grow up without a father absent in the home. Uh, some of the stuff they touched on was uh, might end up in prison, uh, die in infancy, uh, drop out of school, use drugs, uh, were a few things that I touched on. And, you know, I'm trying to think through my life where there are people like that. And I know one person right now who um, dropped out of school, whose dad kind of, his professional career was working on signs. But, you know, I don't know what his backstory is or how, how much his dad was there, you know. But, you know, I definitely see, like nowadays, you know, looking at, you know, all this this generation of kids and this generation of guys growing up who didn't have a dad who was raised by a mom because dad wasn't there or he was there when he wanted to be there and how it adversely affects, you know, their life. So, but, um, and then in, in retrospect, looking at uh, fathers who are there, you know, better grades, better verbal skills, more confidence. Uh, I don't know about this one, better physical health. I mean... Thinking about that, you know, maybe less anxiety, less stress. Learn how to deal with and cope with stressful, you know, when anxiety rises up, how to avoid, how to approach that. Um, or they're coming to dad because dad's safe. Yeah. You know? my, my, my daughter, you know, you know, she always, like, when stuff gets scary or whatever, or like right now with her tonsils being out, you know, she always wants... Which use the restroom or takes her medicine or whatever, 
the last thing she does, even though I'm passed out trying to sleep, I need a hug from dad. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, I just want to, I just want to sleep, man. <laughs> yeah, leave, me alone. leave me alone. But it's like, okay. you know, understanding, you know, dad is, dad is safe. Mm-hmm. You know, and not, I can't imagine not having that, not being able to have that. I mean, we have our heavenly father, absolutely, but on earth, not having that, that steady, I need my dad's help. Like, where's, you know, where's my, I need, I need help. I don't have anybody to help me. You know, how, how scary that would be. So. And, you know, who's the, um, the, the importance of fathers talk about getting whacked in the side of the head. Was it the drummer from Corn? Or the lead singer from Corn, that rock group? Mm. I mean, Perhaps. have you heard of Corn? Oh, yeah, heard of Korn. yeah, yeah. So they're, I think, I think it was their drummer. Um, but God, I don't quote me on this, but when his daughter was born, I don't know that his daughter's mother wanted to have anything to do with his daughter. And it's like he woke up, he became a Christian. I'm sitting here watching him with Laura Ingram. He's talking about Jesus, you know, he's got all this, he's all tatted up and stuff. And he doesn't, he is kind of. He didn't really associate with the band anymore. He keeps in contact with the members of the band, yep. but he was talking about giving his life to Christ because it's like his daughter. Who's going to take care of his daughter? And I mean, you look at this guy who you know is destined for hell, mm-hmm. and he somehow recognized he has got to be a dad, and the importance of being a dad to his daughter, which I mean, it just still blows me away when you see mm-hmm. this guy, you know, just playing with his daughter. It just Brian Welch. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Yep. Yeah, I know the story. He remember his testimony was he made a decision and dumped all of his drugs into the toilet and flushed it. Because that's not who he wanted to be and just like night and day. Night yeah, and day yeah, difference. Flip a switch. And it's an amazing story, you know, and to see someone like you said, as hard as that to wake up and just get, you know, a four by six, the brain going. I need to, I need to make the change. Yeah, like and right now. Yeah, now, like I need to whatever I, whatever I'm doing now isn't working. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I want to be here for when my daughter gets, you know, graduates high school or whatever, and not, not be here. You know, yeah. So, and you know, uh, there's a guy I work with. We talk faith on a regular basis, and. Um, you know, he, he brought up the point the other day. It's like, I'm going to be able to minister to people. He's not going to be able to and vice versa. Just because of how, how I grew up, what I've done, where I've been, whatever. And the same thing. It's like, you're going to be able to minister to people who, would, who wouldn't even give me a second glance. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, looking back, you can see God's hand walking through all this stuff. Um, and, you know, even... With, I mean, some of those stories were absolutely heartbreaking, you know, um, when we went through this about these guys getting reconciled with their dad, you know, when they were like 60, 70, 80 years old. You know, it's like they still wanted that, yeah, I love you, son, you know, mm. from their dad. Yeah. And I was like, that was huge. Yeah. And, you know, whether their fathers, it, I mean, in, in a lot of instances, their fathers created harm, but it's like still at the very end, that's, they were still looking for that. And so I think this is great that you're doing this, Chris, because this, I mean, this whole series for men is probably one of the most important things that our culture needs right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I just think about, you know, with with dads and what's God, what's good about God is that you, you might not have a dad physically, but he's going to bring somebody in your life, whether it's a, a co- like the importance of a coach or, 
a pastor or a friend, like we talked about later on in the session, having a mentor, having somebody who can come alongside you, you know, who may be older than you are, who you can look up to and see as a father figure who's going to help you along the way and be that, mm-hmm. that person you didn't have who can, you can call on. And I remember one day, that one night we talked about, you know, uh, the app, find a dad or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's you know, right. And, and just, just understanding it was a joke. And, but like just thinking about that and we're thinking about how many kids, you know, nowadays, how many people would use that? Would they, you know, if we had that op- opportunity and you wanted to call somebody who was older than you, who had the knowledge. I think it would explode. The lines would be lit up. And just, you know, to think, but to think about that. Yeah. That response right there. The lines would be, why? That's that's scary, Portal, because there's, we're in a generation that Dianem fathers aren't there. Prison, drugs, abused, overweight, drop out of school. That's yeah. kind of your standard kid almost these days, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, but if you look, uh, the other uh, thing you mentioned, too, was a statistic, statistic showing that 33% of all children were uh, grew up apart from their biological father. Yeah. And so the book was published in 2012. So now this is what's 10 years num- later. Yeah, what's that oh yeah, it's now? probably it's two or three times that. Yeah. yeah. It's probably at least 60, yeah, at least yeah. 60% of kids that we see nowadays don't, don't grow up with their biological father. Yeah. And think about the father wound too, looking at that, how what is caused by is ongoing emotional, social, or spiritual deficit. Mm-hmm. Um, that is caused by the lack of a healthy relationship with your dad and now must be overcome by their means. Thinking about that, like the one that sticks out to me is the spiritual deficit. Right? Emotional, absolutely. Social, sure. But for me, spiritual, because I think about like me, like setting that foundation for my daughter, making her understand who God is, what he did, how important it is to put your life, you know, put set your life in him and how much hope he provides. And my parents before me, you know, send the foundation for me. And there was a day where I grew up in a family of alcoholics. My mom's mom and dad, my dad's mom and dad. And it took my parents praying through that to say and break that cycle of alcoholism. And they did that on their own free will. And and to have that foundation that they set for me. And not to have, and you're basically, and you have that spiritual deficit of you're trying to find hope. You have like that, you're, in front of you, you're asking those questions that people might give you an answer, but it's not, but it's not good enough. Yeah. So. And I had heard somebody teaching on that years ago too. And it's like, it's okay to say, I don't know. And yeah. It's like, or, hey, you know, I don't know, but the next time we get together, why don't we look it up or, you know. You do you research and I'll do mine or whatever, and we'll see if we can find the answer and look in the Bible, find out, you know, wherever. Mm-hmm. And in some stuff, I mean, we're never going to know the answer. God left it out on purpose. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So there's mystery. Yeah. That's why I'm waiting to get to heaven, man. I've got so many questions. Yeah. <laughs> so, what um, are the three common responses uh, to the father wound? Um, anger and pain, uh, bottling up of feelings, and um, an inner sense of lostness or incompleteness. Um, you know, never being fully accepted or validated by that. We kind of touched on it. No, the 
the I love you, I'm proud of you, I'm affirming you, you know, how important it is for kids growing up to to look to turn around and when they do something good or something bad that, you know, they know dad's gonna be there to affirm them or, you know, punish them for being doing wrong, but at the same time flip the switch and say, you did wrong, but I still love you regardless. And being that example of, you know, God on earth and showing like what grace looks like and love and mercy looks like. So um, not being, having that validation and how, how, how empty that would make somebody feel. So um, let's see, uh, other stuff. Um, luckily we got Christ who helps us with overcoming every obstacle, but that's when we depend on our group of guys, you know, finding that group of people that you're not looking, walking out in the darkness with a little bit of flashlight that's blinking, ask for help when there's nobody else, you know, nobody there. So, so yeah, but, um, anything else you guys want to add to the, to the dad wound, the, the dad section, I should say, that is important to you um, that I might have touched on or, uh, looked over other than, you know, whatever son needs from dad, um, answer the why questions. Um, what do you think about that call? Why, why do you think that's so important for a son to, to have that dad answer the why questions or, you know, spend the time together teaching the skills? Why do you think that's so important? Um, I think it's so important because if there, there might be certain things in life that if, your dad doesn't explain or answer your, it could work good or bad, but you know, like you'll, you'll seek it out yourself. Um, and you know, obviously nowadays, you know, we've got Google at the touch of our phone, but you know, when we were kids, like we didn't have smartphones or cell phones. Mm -hmm. And so it figured out. Yeah. Yeah. It like figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, you know, when it comes to like men and their sexuality, you know, like if you're, dad doesn't show you how that works um you you know you are more than likely going to seek that out yourself and a lot of men that leads to like pornography and um and things like that you figure it out wrong figure it out wrong <laughs> yeah. yeah and then you set a ha bad habit and then you're down this dark path um that for a lot of people is really hard to come out of you know um so and you know and then it's and, it, and i find that to be probably a generational thing because it's like maybe the dad didn't, you know, bring that up because his dad never brought it up, mm -hmm. yep. you know? And it was like, he figured it out for himself or had to find out for himself and therefore was never equipped with how do I talk to my son about this? Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? No, there's an uncomfortable conversation. The birds, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. birds and the bees. Like how am I supposed to, <laughs> Yeah, that's what's nice about my wife when my daughter starts having her, her time her coming changes. up, her changes yeah. that she's uh -huh. gonna go through. <laughs> yep. You know, when she gets a little bit older, you know, luckily I got my wife to help me with that. But you know, to have that opportunity to sit down with the dad, like help me understand what's it mean to love love somebody. Mm -hmm. What's it mean to you know fall in love or you know to truly understand it. You know, so um, one thing that says here was <clears throat> you will leave. I guess how you live in your son. I think that's, I'm not sure if that's right or wrong, but for me, I hear, uh, read that as, you know, what you leave behind is what your son, how your son's going to live his life. You know, what you leave behind, you know, 
because you never know, but you know, that last conversation you had with your son or daughter, maybe the last thing they ever heard in their entire life. Yeah. You know, you know, and if you die tomorrow, what's your, I guess, what's your legacy going to be? What's that going to look like? You know, and I remember when my dad had his quadruple bypass, how scary that was and just, you know, just understanding, you know, how important, how, how much stuff I learned from my dad and what my, if my dad wasn't there, you know, and just thinking about myself, like what kind of legacy, what is, what, how's my, how's my, my daughter going to remember me? And just having that thought in the back of my brain hmm. and how I, you know, and just thinking about like how I treat people, how I treat my wife, you know, and how I treat other people, you know, and just remembering that they're always watching you. Yeah. And you know, the one thing, and you know, for people who may not have caught the first one of this or may not catch further ones down, the thing too that they pointed out more than once too is with God, it's never too late. I mean, we could screw up our kids up to this point, but that doesn't mean from this point forward, we can't change and God's always going to use what we, the good, the and the bad to help direct us. So um, for people who haven't heard that, it's like, it's never too late. You know, God's always going to move, move you forward. Yep. Mm-hmm. Doors not shut. Yeah. All right. So got hit hard the dad section. Now it comes to the more interesting one, which is the mom section. Um, right off the bat, real li- real men love mom. Um, you know, men cannot be passive. They have to stand up for what's right. Sometimes that involves standing up for your wife and protecting her and ensuring that others honor her. You know, it doesn't matter if someone if it if it's someone in your family or her family, your wife deserves respect. That's something that I wrote down myself. And I put my I was kind of guilty, I put my mother-in-law, which is kind of interesting, but uh just remember, you know, just thinking about going back to my dad signing up for my family for his family with the with acts, but like how important it is for your wife to feel respected with your from your with your daughter or her or playing the bad guy once in a while with with your mom saying hey you can't come over because you know this girl just had her tonsils out and not being when you punish your daughter you know not taking the power away from from your wife yeah and you know go you know give her this you know the stuffed animal back that happened last night give the stuffed animal back my wife just got done saying no, I'm taking the stuff out of my way because, and going, you know, t- understanding that takes the respect factor that your daughter might have that makes it a little bit less. Mom's not as, you know, it's all about that. So it just, you know, it isn't just the mother in law or the mom, but it's also the daughter mm-hmm. as well. So, um, Let's see, uh, looking at other stuff, the way your mom, the, the influence of mom, the way your mom has handled your needs as a child has shaped your worldview, your relationships, your marriage, your career, your self-image, your life. What we learned in our relationship with our mother deeply affects every area of our adult life. That was a quote by Henry Cloud in The Mom Factor. Hmm. Um, what do you guys think, what do you guys get from that quote from Henry Cobb? Like, what do you what do you think he's trying to say there? 
on that quote there. Mom screwed us all up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just interesting, you know, just with your self-image, you know. Um, I guess, you know, the dad gives you the tough, the tough, the tough love. It gives you what it means to be a man, but I guess your mom endows you with, it's okay to be tender every now and again. Yeah, for me, um, I was the middle child. And my wife's middle child too, so we get along really well because we went through very similar things. And um, my mom told me when I was older, and it kind of it kind of pissed me off um, at first. Uh, but I can kind of see how that's shaped who I am. But my mom and dad would give me more chores to do because I would just do them without complaining or arguing. Because my older brother and younger sister would always complain and moan and argue and or my brother would stall or fight or whatever. So it was easier for them to give me this stuff because I would just do it. Mm. And so I can kind of see that now. It's like where I want to help people when maybe I shouldn't, you know, if that's the, if that's the right description. Yeah. Just because I'm so used to like, okay, let me help you out or whatever without complaining. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that, that works for and against me sometimes. So... Mm. But that was just kind of like, what the frick? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, the don't say no kind of a thing. Sure yeah, story. yeah. And then, you know, of course, my brother, he's the oldest, so he's always pushing the boundaries and getting the attention, and he's the older one. And um, my younger sister was the baby, so then she got all the attention. So the middle kids come to, sometimes gets the short end of the stick, gets the yeah. shaft, just because it's like they're stuck in the middle. And um, so I can, and I think that's why my wife and I get along so well, because um, she kind of had this, you know, similar experience. It's like the middle kid, you're just, you're just stuck out there. The baby gets all the attention. The older one gets all the attention because they're either pushing the boundaries or getting in trouble, and um, she just kind of get left behind. Mm-hmm. Something that um, I was just hit, uh, hit with, which is we're going back a little bit to the dad section, but something that I always grew up with was I have to honor my dad in the way I live my life. You know, I got to, I got to make my dad proud, whether that's with my marriage or whatever is in your guys' opinion. Do you think that can be a dangerous, a dangerous way of looking at your life? Right? I got to make my dad proud no matter what, whether it's my job or, you know, how I live my life. I got to make my dad proud to the day I die. Basically. I could see where that could really screw you up. Um, because you want to, you want to make your dad proud, but at the same time, you know, this is what I want to do. You know, I'm trying to find my way as a man or a young man. And what I want to do may or may not necessarily jive with what he wants me to do. You know, it's like, well, this is how I'm really kind of feeling pulled this direction. And it's like, eh, I don't know about that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that could, that could really throw you for a loop. Yeah. And I think, Though there's ways you can make your dad proud, you know, doing your best, whatever you've chosen to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but trying to strike that balance sometimes is difficult because it's like, are you going to argue with your dad? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> right. Well, I think uh, a good example of it, because I know it, you know, it touches in Jesus, uh, you know, which comes up later mm-hmm. in the session or in the volume. But, um, you know, it talks about the relationship he had with his mom. 
but I it, it shared a few scripture examples. But I thought of one that wasn't in the book, which was Luke chapter two, um, verses forty five through fifty two, and this is where Jesus was left behind in Jerusalem, and the you know, and his family leaves, and they're like, oh shoot, you know, they turn back <laughs> around looking for Jesus, like what happened? You know, it turns out Jesus was in the temple, you know, talking with the scribes and Pharisees and asking these questions, and they were all astounded and blown away by Jesus' wisdom as, like, a 12-year-old boy. Um, so Mary and Joseph are, like, freaking out, like, Jesus, like, why did you leave? Or why didn't you stick with us? You know, this this stuff. And Jesus says, well, don't you know I must be about my father's business? Yeah. You know, but it said, nonetheless, he followed them and he submitted to them and and all that. But um, I think what stuck out to me in this scene, this scene was that, you know, Jesus as a boy, you know, like, being fully God, fully man, he submitted to his parents loved his parents, um, that even in this situation, it was like, you know, it almost seemed like a smart alecky comment, yeah. but it did shed light on the fact that when Jesus, he reached this point in his going from adolescence to teenager and adulthood, it was like no longer about that submission to his parents. It became more about submitting to the father's will, which, you know, ultimately to God. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he still wanted to like, Get, get that affirmation from his dad but he knew it needed to shift to like it i have to please the lord more yeah. than my dad yeah you know when we leave father and mother to cling to our wives or you know we we leave the nest um you know we it, that's where i think being a christian is just so it's like how do you do life without being a christian in that regard because it's like if you're not seeking affirmation from your father when you're out of the house like who do you seek that affirmation from you know yeah and and because you could be like you could be doing exactly what god wants you to do and you could feel the sense of purpose being fulfilled but then what if your dad doesn't like it you know then you're conflicted with like well i feel like i'm doing what god wants me to do but my dad doesn't want and you know doesn't like it so it's like whose affirmation am i gonna you know compete for whose whose affirmation do i yield to are you truly after and then yeah the dangerous part is i think we touched on it when on the session back back then, but the dad living through the son. Yeah. You know, like everything he does is, you know, you're going to play on this football team, you're going to play for this high school, and then here's the path you're going to take. Yeah. Because that was the career path I was supposed to take, but you're going to do it for me kind of a thing. So, but yeah, I've always wondered, you know, I don't know if I struggled with it, but I've always wondered, you know, is, how important is that, you know, Getting your dad's approval on specific things should be more for, hey, good job. Like going back to, you know, you're loved and proud of you. I'm affirming your life choices. Even though you might screw up every now and again, I love you regardless. You're doing a great job. Yeah. You know, so. Um, I actually do have a great example from Pastor Ken Ortiz mm-hmm. um, about how to honor your father. And in his case, it was honoring his father when his father wasn't a Christian and didn't love the Lord and have the worst wisdom and like advice <laughs> for everyday life things. But, you know, Ken said that the way he would go about honoring his dad was like, if Ken was in a situation in his life where it was like, you would need to go like, you know, or most people would go to their father for advice. He would like go to his dad and be like, Hey, you know, I'm in this situation. What would you do? Let his dad tell him what he thinks he should do or whatever. And then be like, Oh, okay, thanks. You know, go away. You know, you may you may not actually do that. Yeah. But then, you know, if he comes back and says, like, hey, how did that situation work out? You know, it's like, oh yeah, it worked out great. Thanks, Dad. Like, thanks for your input. You yeah. know? Where it was like he didn't have to tell his dad no, that's bad, yeah. 
bad advice or whatever. But that was a way of honoring him where he felt like, oh, my son came to me. My son listened to me. Even though he wasn't going to give godly counsel. Yeah, Yeah. still that opportunity for him to give his two cents, so to speak. So So makes the dad feel honored. Yeah. Yeah. So back to moms, thinking about the relationship with your mom, uh, the significant breaks with mom, uh, the physical and the emotional break. Um, you know, the physical break, separation from, from mom at birth to in the oneness that began at conception and the emotional break, separation from mom when a boy transitions to manhood. Mm-hmm. Um, Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his, and, and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Um, me, myself, you know, my wife says I struggle with it. But like, you know, finding that, I guess that finding that boundary of you can have this much effect on my daughter or my life, but you know, I'm not, you know, you can give me, like you were talking about the, you can give me your two cents on a specific, how I raise my child, how to, you know, how to punish my child, how to do this, do that. But I'm starting to go, hey, Lindsay, how do you feel? You know, how do you feel about this? And I go, hey, here's what, here's what mom said. My mom said, and it goes back to that video of when the guy was sitting there with his mom and his wife and they were sitting together, you know, and the video starts with, you know, I thought that, you know, a guy with a great mother relationship was a good thing, but then it gets really bad where he has to go through mom to talk to her and they go, hey, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna go out to lunch. So I wasn't talking. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to my son. Do you want to come too? And it's like you know, obviously that was a an over exaggeration, but still, it still happens. It does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And how dangerous now? You know that you that as men you need you need that separation from mom. I mean, it's great to have that relationship with mom, and Jesus had a great relationship with his mom growing up, but he still had that. You know, that that separation of this is what I'm doing. This is my life. This yeah. is my path. You need to let me do with yeah. what I want to do with my life. And yeah. even to the cross where having that separation going, hey, this, you know, and he talked, and it was later on, but he basically said, you know, this this is your mom right here. You know, you know, you know and just having that, I'm going to die now, you know, I love you, but I'm passing with, I believe it was James. James, this is your, this is your mom. Mary, yeah. this is your, this is your son, basically. And having that, even to the point of death, like having that, that separation there. So, and how important it is, for sure. So, um, and at least the mother wound of having that unhealthy emotional relationship with mom that causes a son to be either threatened by the influence of mom later on in life or over-identify and become submissive to the influence of women which leads to either a dominant male, which is too controlling, or a soft male, which obviously is passive and submissive. And I recently watched Alice in Wonderland, and there was a point in the movie where Alice goes to see the Queen of Hearts and the King of Hearts. And obviously the movie may be political, whatever, but seeing a little bit of King of Hearts a really big queen of hearts, and she was loud and boisterous. And he talked really, really quietly because, you know, 
whatever it was representing. But to me, it was like, okay, that may be the closest, you know, identifier to like the day and age we're living in is, yeah. uh, you know, women, some women, not all women, but some women might feel that I don't need a guy. I don't need a man to tell me how to do X, Y, or Z. You know, why do I need some guy to come in my life to show me or to protect me or whatever? So uh, that's how I, that's how I saw that. So hmm. is that the new Alice in Wonderland? No, it's old school. That was the old school really? one. Really? Yeah, with the cartoon version. Uh huh. Not the new one with uh, Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp. The old, you know, Disney Disney version. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that's how I saw that, and just you know, obviously you wanna you don't want it to be too dominant. You know, you know, forcing you to do stuff that just want to do, but you don't want to be soft at the same time. You know, you need to have that fine balance of finding, you know, your role in the marriage. Obviously, men are supposed to be in charge and make the final decisions on certain things. But, you, got, you know, finding that 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 equal equal ground of like, you know, this is what I'm going to take care of. That's what you're going to take care of. But, you know, wife, whatever. And find that balance of not being too much or not being too little. So... And also dealing with their response to your pushing back or setting a boundary. Um, I remember when Kale was younger, um, my mom and dad were staying with us for a couple of days for the weekend. And we're the stopping off place for all of our relatives. So Christy's sister would stay with us. My brother and sister would stay with us. My sister and her husband would stay with us. Everyone would stay at our house either on the way to Montana to visit my relatives in Montana or just to come and visit. Everyone stayed here. Um, and it got worse as Christy's parents got older because they couldn't, you know, they couldn't cook and keep track of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Kale was younger, um, they were up for, they were just going to be up for a few days. And I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, no big deal. Um, and then my nephew was playing in a, piano deal at Gonzaga and he had bounced bounced to the next round and they're like well can we can we stay with you guys and it's like well when is it it's like Saturday and this was like on a Monday which is like oh my gosh having anybody stay for I'm so it would have been close to 10 days in a row and it's like whoa wow and at the time Caleb was kind of being a pill and it's like he didn't want to go to kindergarten or preschool whatever it was um so we were battling him every single day. You know, he'd be climbing under the table, refusing to come out. And it's like, we got to get him to school because he has to go to school. Mm. And having my mom and their mom, mom and dad there did not help at all. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it just made it easier for him to act out, you know. And yeah. then they're looking at you going, what kind of a parent are you? you know, <laughs> or, or at least you're thinking that. Yeah. And so I'm like, I, I had to tell him, it's like, hey, would you guys mind staying in a hotel? Because we got we to gotta keep Caleb on um, you know, on track going to school and stuff like that. And they were not happy at all. Mm. And it was just like, that was extremely difficult, but it had to be done. It's like, we had to set the boundaries mm-hmm. and, um, you know, Christy's had to do the same with her parents over the years. It's just like, cause you, everyone's got these assumptions that we're all doing this again. And like, no, we're not. And then it was like, what? You know, so you're the bad guy because you're doing something different than the routine or the family tradition or whatever, yeah. and it's then you're the bad guy. We're not the bad guy. We just want to do something different. 
Yeah. We need to do what works for our family. That's exactly it. And yeah. the res- I think we were totally comfortable with it because we prayed about it. It's like, we got to do something different. We can't keep doing this. So we were comfortable with it. This is the right thing for our family, but it's everyone else's response. You know, you get the stink eye and the silent treatment and everything else. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's hard. That's one of the mm. rejecting passivity. I mean, that's oh like gosh. you got to bulldoze through that thing. And it's just like, ah, it's terrible. Lead courageously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lead courageously was an understatement. But yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard, and you know your your parents, your mom and your dad, it's like they feel hurt because you kicked them out of their house, and they're not thinking of it from their perspective. So when you know Christy and I have talks, like when Caleb grows up, has family, has kids, or whatever, we're going to be totally different than what our situation was, you know, and be more open to that and have a better discussion about that. It's like, hey, t- totally understand. Yeah, if you guys want to don't come at Christmas, you know, it's like we'll miss you, but that's fine. We get mm. it. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. It's not like there's a blank spot in that year because Paul and Christy never showed up. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That kind of leads to, you know, if there are unresolved issues with a parent, this may mean that you need to have a direct but respectful conversation with mom and dad, you know, and that kind of like, kind of touches on what you're talking about is having that, um, kind of jumped a little bit, but the healing portion of, you know, if there's unresolved or if there's a situation where, you know, you want to raise your child a specific way and mom and dad have their own opinion on that, you know, it's like, obviously you sit down like, okay, I understand, but this is the way it is. Yeah. I oh. respect your opinion, but you know, yeah. and I've always, what's always, I love it, but at the same time, let my, my daughter go see, my mom, sometimes she can come back with a little bit of attitude, which is always interesting. But, you know, at the same time, I understand the importance of your mom and grandma and that kind of thing, but, you know, find that balance. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, this leads to the four types of mom. Moms that contribute to the mother wound, um, the unintentional mom, which is, Stays oblivious to her son's need to connect with other men and make the healthy break. You have the hurting mom who has lost emotional connection with her husband and uses her son uh, to overconnect with. The unwilling to release mom, which obviously self-explanatory, doesn't want her son to go. Dominant personality. Uh, and the fill-in-the-gap mom, which is lead that lead to overconnection independence if the son doesn't have strong male mentors to guide him. Um, so I think that, you know, I can't you know, point my finger at one specific thing, but, you know, I think that sometimes being guys, you know, in certain situations, you, you I guess, you get that comfort zone of, you know, I want, I want, you know, I just, you know, find that comfort zone. I want to be, you know, I want to be involved with my mom and stuff like that. And and just understanding that, you know, we're supposed to have that break. We're supposed to not, you know, even though you love mom with all your heart, that kind of thing, you have to have that, that break. Yeah. You know, not allowing her to control your life. And yes, she may be hurting, she may be crying and stuff like that. But, you know, you can't, 
You can't live through your mom. No, and she's got to get past that too, mm-hmm. you know? Well, because by nature, they're nurturers. So yeah. that chal- the challenges on their end of like, I've nurtured him like for, you know. I carried you around. Several yeah. years, yeah. you know, and then all of a sudden he's you're, just shifted. And all of a sudden it's like, he doesn't need mom in that nurturing way anymore. And then she's like, abandoning. how do I nurture you now? I can't do that anymore. And and I think that's, yeah, where a lot of that conflict comes yeah. in. Yeah. And, every, and like it showed in those four types of moms, they all uh, react to it differently. Mm-hmm. At least you, uh, you know, talked about like Colin talked about a little bit Jesus and his mom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, separating yourself from your mother and father is something that God wants. Not always what your parent or parents want, but that separation there. Um, and Jesus offers us a perfect example of what it means to have that separation, which is you know building those healthy boundaries, giving the parents the proper respect. And having genuine love. I mean, just because you separate from your mom doesn't mean you can't just like stop asking advice or stop asking dad for advice or whatever. You know, just like you said, like, you know, just cut them off. Yeah. You, know, you got nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. I live my life how I want. It's like that's also a dangerous thing because then you know, when you want, when you want their help or need their help, you cut them off, then. Hey, you left us. You're yeah. on your own. Mm. So. And this uh, comes to the next part, which is the healing portion, uh, the healing of the wounds. Um, the first one is, you know, if, if you're wounded by your mom or dad, however that might be, you have to choose to deal with this wound responsibly. Um, to me, like, deal with the wound responsibly is, you know, going to find that group of guys, you know, don't act like, you know, no one's ever gone through this but me by myself. But finding that group of guys like, hey, here's, I just separated from my mom or here's what I'm, this wound I'm dealing with. I can't, <laughs> you know, I can't do it on my own. Please help, you know, please help me, you know. And having that, that one, that conversation with them and uh, begin, begin that process of, you know, whether your dad's here or not here, or mom's here or not here, you know, starting that forgiveness process of forgiving past hurts or past wounds that may still be may still be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then using, if you're married or have a, uh, a fiance or a spouse or girlfriend, if you trust them enough, but I mean, uh, having that sitting down, if you have unresolved issues, sitting down with from your past, whether whatever it might be, uh, sitting down with your wife. I know that I've had conversations about my past with my wife several times, and it's almost like a like meeting with you guys, a, a monkey off your back, so to speak. Yeah. You know, that chain, though released, you know, you're not just relying on your own strength to get through that wound. You know, you help, you have people to help carry that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't make excuses for the reasons why. Just gotta like I put down. Don't make excuses. Just gotta, just gotta rip the bandaid. Just get. Yeah. You, know, you gotta open that wound up. It might hurt. It might suck for a while, but the more you talk about it, the more you battle yourself through. In the end, 
you know, you look back and you'll see that it helped shape, shape to you and where your past going to go. So, mm. um, let's see what else here. Uh, guidelines for dads, skip it a little bit. Um, you can change, you can't change the past, but you can make changes right now and how you relate to you, your son or daughter. Uh, wounding your son to some degree is unavoidable, which I find interesting. Yeah. You know, because you can't just like... We're, we're going to make these same mistakes. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Even totally. though we know it's just one of those, you know, we're not perfect. So we're going to screw up our kids somehow. Mm -hmm. um, and yet somehow God is going to make them all turn out just fine. You know, as long as they follow them. Right, yeah. <laughs> that needed to be said. Mm -hmm. yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. You know, and I think with the healing session, it was, uh, you know, I think the interesting bit of it is because I think every, every man's journey is different, you know, and mm -hmm. what kind of wounds we have, how severe the wounds are. Um, because, yeah, when you reflect on your upbringing and the relationship you had with your mom and then with your dad and then you're recalling good times or maybe bad times, um, you know, and we bring it all to the our groups, like when we were meeting. Um, on 33, it's like, yeah, some of ours were maybe not as extreme and, and some and, or not as um, like what I mean is like maybe the more extreme ones would be like the you need to write a letter to oh, your mom yeah. or your dad, you know, yeah. like for how depending on how severe it is or like you need to go have that like conversation and just, you know, like really open up the bandaid, right or or whatever, reexamine a past situation um and and i think for me like i think a lot of the things that i noticed um in my parents when i reflect weren't necessarily that extreme so when i say extreme like i mean that it's like i look at it and i'm like yeah i understand what they were going through at that time the difficulty of being a mom or being parents and how difficult i was as a kid <laughs> you know and it's coming full circle back with my kids you know so it's like um so it's not something that I ever like hold a grudge against them for like, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's things that it's like, what, it, what is it to, you know, to dwell on it and to just linger in that kind of frustration or resentment. Yeah. They were doing the best they could. Exactly. The time. Yeah. And you might know their situation or they might've told you about it, but what they told you and what it actually was are two different things. You know, mm -hmm. So it could have been a lot worse. And so, um, yeah, you, you know, for the most part, everyone's doing their best. Right. So it just takes a lot of wisdom to know, like, uh, to what degree did that situation affect you to then which know, like, okay, when if, like if somebody were to tell us their situation, you'd be like, man, it seems like you haven't really forgiven them or it seems like you're really resenting them or holding something against them. That might be a good way to be, like, counseling them to be like, maybe you need to write a letter. Maybe you need yeah. to... Yeah. And you know, writing, writing a letter is actually a good idea because even if you don't send it, just to kind of get your thoughts on paper to get it out of your head. Mm. So then you can put some structure to it. And it's like, okay, this makes more sense and come up with a strategy for how to talk to them about that. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Because you can't just, some of that, <laughs> there's some stuff you can wing, but there's other stuff you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Totally. Do you ever find, I mean, making excuses, I guess, for your dad or your mom, how they treated you? Um, you know, I know there's been situations where, you know, being treated by my dad, specifically changing the tire, get need in the gut because I didn't do something right. 
my wife's like, oh, that's abuse. But it's like, well, that's, you know, how was... Back how then it wasn't. That happened? Yeah, yeah, back then it wasn't. Do you guys ever find yourself, like, when certain things happened, maybe excuses for specific things in your life? Like, oh, well, you know, that, you know, uh, well, it wasn't that bad, or here's what happened, but it wasn't that big of a deal because... And the end, it turned out okay. You don't know yeah. the whole story, yeah. Uh, I mean, in a situation like that, you know, I mean, if if the dad were to come back and be like, you know, I'm, I, I'm really sorry for doing that. Like, that was really out of line, you know? Like, that could happen, or sometimes you might have a dad who does that and is just like, wants to pretend like that never happened and just brush it under the rug. And then the kid might feel like, I've this is like unresolved, you know? Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah, then you might try to come up with something like just, well, he swept it under the rug. I guess I just need to sweep it under the rug and pretend like it never happened. But then something might happen in the future and then something snaps. Yeah. And then you just react in a way. And then it was, it could be somehow stemmed to that scenario. Yeah. Years, yeah. years, years down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Take it out on dad. Yeah. And this leads to my, my, I guess, I like this portion of it, which is basically talking about being all alone the importance of building a relationship with other men. Um, we don't build relationships with our head. We build relationships with our hearts. Mm-hmm. We build businesses with our heads, but we build a legacy with our hearts. Um, you cannot get through life without a teammate to help. I know that, you know, part of my life was like, you know, I don't need anybody. Like, I don't know. You know, put the put the two face on and come to come to church and you know, praise God, you know, Jesus loves me. How you doing, Chris? God loves you. You're doing great. Oh yeah. The whole, you know, walking the door. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I know you God loves you, man. You know? <laughs> but you know, and you go through the whole you know, service or whatever and all right, God bless you guys, and you walk out the door and it's like you go back to misery. And you're dying inside both spiritually and physically, and you, you know, you put on that, that mask, you know, I'm seeing like, you know, different, the depression medicine stuff where you start having face and it's kind of floating. Yeah. You know, men, I mean, men are, I mean, a lot of men are guilty, even, you know, people in church, you know, are guilty of it, you know, afraid to open themselves up because, well, if they knew this about me, what would happen? They're going to run away or they're going to tell X, Y, and Z about this. And just having that, having that fear of what's going to happen if I do this. And the lie of there's nobody else going through what I'm going through. So. Hmm. <coughs> when in reality, it's probably every seventh person, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or sixth or fifth or whatever. Yeah. Totally. So there's a proverb that says, uh, <coughs> "In the multitude of counselors, there is sure victory." Yeah, yeah. That's like I think of life in general. Or the other proverb says, like, "As uh, iron sharpens iron, so a man mm-hmm. sharpens one another." Yeah, you know. I mean, Jesus didn't walk through his life without twelve other guys behind him. I mean, not like yeah. he, not like he needed twelve other guys behind him, but those twelve other disciples needed each other to make it through. Yeah. Through life, mm-hmm. you know, uh, obviously, yeah, the ultimate example of Jesus. But I mean, I'm sure there were, there were nights like, I don't, 
understand this, how you guys, you know, how's Peter getting through, you know, Philip talking about, you know, being frustrated, Philip and Peter's there, or Matthew's there, or whatever. You know, this is stuff we don't know about. Like, was there conversations they had between each other that when Jesus did a miracle, like, how is this possible? How can you believe this? Yeah. Or when Judas, you know, betrayed Jesus, how we don't know what the reaction of the disciples were, were hanging out, you know, you know, when they found out that Judas betrayed, you know, what was their reaction? Like, how are you guys, you know? How could this have happened to all of us? We, how could we not have known? How do we? How come we didn't see this? You know, yeah, being there for each other and helping each other. You know, I mean, Timothy needed you know, Paul. Paul needed Timothy. So I mean, there's different. It's interesting how the Bible has those different. You know, even though it was two guys have those different people throughout history. Where Jonathan and David, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, Jonathan's dad was trying to kill David <laughs> yeah. right. on multiple occasions. Yeah, and how he saved his life. You know, yeah, if it was for Jonathan being there, David would be dead. You know, so it's just interesting how you have those teammates, those brothers in arms, so to speak, that you know are there to to help you without you even knowing. So, um, the different, obviously, the different types of mentors, the encouraging mentor, someone takes special interest in you, they're committed to your development. Uh, they see the best in you even when you can't see it yourself. Um, in the game of life, you need that mentor. Um, the side-by-side teammate, which, I mean, I know that most of that a lot of us are, just there for each other. Um, every man needs teammates who can, who can make him feel safe. This allows the man to be able to open, truly open up and share about himself without fear of judgment. Uh, without transparency, men are likely to fall into discouragement, depression, or uh, danger. Um, for sure, depression. I mean, you know, you try to find hope nowadays. You know, it's very, very hard to do. And everybody's trying to find that, find that hope in you know, alcohol or drugs or whatever. You know, and it's th- those important times we need people to be out there going, hey, you know, this is a guide directing to where the hope is. So, yeah. um, being into that building, building, and then when you find those guys, you know, um, learn how to be a little teammate who encourages others. Uh, be willing to be vulnerable and transparent. That was a big one for me, for sure. Because um, it'd be too easy to be in a group of guys and, you know, Everybody knows, you know everybody else, but no one knows you. Yeah. No, that's oh, that's a great that's a great point that's a great point, Paul. Great guys, have a good night. You know, and you walk away never sharing anything, or you share just enough to have them skip you, yeah, or never talk to you again, or or whatever. You know, being that being just enough transparency that you don't give away too much. Nobody really knows who you are. And that's, you know, it's interesting you you mentioned earlier um, about, you know, not having any friends like from grade school on up. And I haven't, I didn't really either because I went to grade school in Spokane and Portland and didn't really have anybody. I mean, the, the school I went to, um, it you know, everyone had been there for years. And so even though I went, I started in second grade, went through eighth grade, it's like I, I never really felt like, 
I had anybody who was a good solid friend. Mm. You know, that's just like we always hang out and did stuff. There was one one guy who did um, that. I still stay in contact. He lives in Germany now. He's actually a musician. Mm. Um, but you know, we so we did all kinds of stuff, and then of course he went to a different high school, and then we went you know went our ways from there. But yeah, just having somebody like that, especially now, like some Christian friend whose brother, um, you know, to grow up with your whole life, somebody you can, you know, you talk to him about this stuff. It's like, Oh yeah, me too. You know? Um, so yeah, I, it's like, that would have been great. And I, you know, I would be kind of, I don't know if jealous is the right word. It's like jealous of people who've had that kind of yeah, yeah. friendship from second grade or first grade or whatever, you know, or grew up. Yeah. It's my best friend. We grew up together in the same block and his parents still live next to my parents. And, you know, we do all kinds of stuff every year. We go to blah, blah, blah. And, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it never happened for me, you know. But I feel like it's just more—it's more rare for that to happen nowadays because it's yeah. just people move all the time. Yeah, job opportunities come up all all the time. Yeah, and people just don't stay rooted as much as they used to. I feel like. Yeah. Or you get that that person you want to was you meet in high school or whatever, you know. That's one thing not to try to put you guys on blast too much, but I was well, I was I was uh, <laughs> lucky enough to have. My buddy, my friend Ian Deland, mm-hmm. um, guys in my in my neighborhood who lived next door to me, Chase and his and his cousin Ricky, who I go over and hang out with. But you know, Ian Deland for sure was, and is still one of my best friends. Uh, we grew up. He, I mean, I graduated before he did, but he's still someone that I have still a special connection with. Um, you know, whether it's whether it was quoting Top Gun or Ace Ventura or whatever, but having that that relationship that, you know, you even though you're separated from that person forever, you can still come back and everything. It's really like you left it. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, dude, remember that one time? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want to remember, but yeah, I remember that one time. <laughs> yeah. You know? But you have the same, have same mannerisms from 20 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Same, yeah. Same handshake. So it's just, mm-hmm. you know, I've, been, I've definitely been, been blessed even now with friends that I can count on, you know, whether it's Lance or Colin or you, Paul, or, or, you know, the guys of our group, Bill, or, you know, every now and again when I feel like it. So, you know, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, so. it's definitely helpful, that's for sure. Um, let's see, leading to the next part there, um, kind of skipping around, but, um, the Proverbs talks about uh, Proverbs thirteen twenty. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the compassion of fools will suffer harm. Companion, I apologize. The companion of fools will suffer harm, and just how important it is to find people who encourage you, who build you up, you know, or but not people who will build you up and then just leave you when you need them the most, like you know. I could really use this person's help when we call them and they're not there. Yeah. You know? Or they'll lead you down the path that leads to destruction instead of the path that leads to glory. So um, that leads to the next, next session, which is the heart. Talking about the wounds again. Uh, all, all men, not just some men. This is the important part here. All men are affected by wounds to one degree or another. It could be a deep wound. It could be a shallow wound. It doesn't matter. All men are affected by something. Um, the relationship with your mom, the relationship with your dad, you know, uh, whether it's a broken world, um, whether disconnected, 
or you know they you know they are just broken just broken men particularly just remembering that you know whether it's a broken world remembering that one day Jesus will return to make us make all things new he will wipe away every tear from our eyes death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things that passed away um with broken men, you know, remembering that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us, uh, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he is the only solution to to healing that heart wound. Mm -hmm. um, the disconnected men, uh, Chip Dodd says, we must go through the, mo uh, we must just go through the motions, never fully knowing ourselves, never fully knowing Others and never fully find the abundant life. That's what a dis disconnected man is. And, you know, those feelings that we as men have a tendency to stuff and to find a way to, you know, shut ourselves off from any emotion because we want to be part of the cool crowd or we, it's, you know, too tough or, or hurts too much to share my life with somebody else. You know, not being afraid to step out in in in, in boldness and find somebody you can trust in trust you know trust. I mean, you know, whether it's in a church, you know, preferably in a church, obviously. But God will bring somebody. Pray that God brings somebody into your life that has that effect. Mm -hmm. and, and once you pray for that, once you trust in that, God will bring somebody into your life will bring somebody to build you up and will be there in your darkest moments and your brightest moments to you know come alongside you and carry the 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 the, the wound that you're that you have um and then finally uh, closing out here but three suggestions for connecting with our heart we must recognize and feel feelings um Feeling, feeling our feelings is about beginning to take responsibility for the content of our hearts. It requires us to live out of how our hearts are made and use our feelings to experience and add to relationship first with ourselves, then with others. Uh, find a balanced approach to be honest with our feelings before God and before a trustworthy friend. Um, and that's it. And then talking about what we kind of touched on, but First Corinthians ten thirteen, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. <coughs> so you're not, you're not by yourself. <clears throat> you're not all, all alone. You know, in the darkness without any hope of survival. Hmm. You know, God is never that. God is you know not up in heaven going. You know. Oh, just laughing at you, pointing a finger, going, I told you so. You know, it takes you two seconds to realize where you are, understand that he is right there, just waiting. And, you know, just waiting for you to, to look up and reach out. And you, you kind of see that in Job, too. You know, God never abandoned Job. He never said, you know... Um, anything bad about him he just said consider my servant job you know and 
he told Satan he could do whatever he wanted to, he just couldn't kill him. Mm -hmm. And Satan's friends, and, or not Satan, <laughs> Satan's friends, Job's friends. <laughs> Well, well, I guess they're sort of saying <laughs> tormenting Job, yeah. Um, his friends, you know, told him, oh, it's something you did. You know, they completely rejected him and pointed the finger at him. His wife said, curse God and die. And God never left him. And he always said, you know, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And what was the other one? Um, naked I came into this world and naked I shall return. Mm -hmm. um, and so he trusted God through all this no matter what. Now, he did seek counsel through his friends, but they weren't much help. And then God asked a couple questions and shut them up really quick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think having somebody to talk to about makes a big, biggest, big difference, you know. And this is, you know, we're in the tough guy age. You know, it's been the tough guy age. Guys don't cry or guys don't do this or guys don't do that. And guys are all screwed up because of that, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, just, you know. The tough, you know, the tough guy, like, I'm not supposed to share feelings, you know, and uh, it's a dangerous, very dangerous, very dangerous thing to bottle things up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, near the very end of the session, uh, it said this thing connected to the heart requires three things, and it said, feel our feelings, tell the truth about our hearts to others, give the truth of our heart to God. Um, but one thing that stuck out to me, at least with a more recent situation, was like, you know, there was a situation where someone said something and, you know, like we, we all go into situations, right, where someone either says or does something and it makes you feel a certain way, right? Or you have yeah. like a negative response or reaction to it inside. And, uh, and when I had that happen, I actually tried this different process, which was interesting, was like, I, you know, I took the time to think about like, why did that upset me or frustrate me? Mm -hmm. um, and then... I like needed to process and articulate it. So I journaled like the situation. And then I found myself as I was journaling it, it was like the wisdom was coming to me because it, it kind of felt like this, A, me getting it out of my head, but it was also like me giving the truth um, of our my heart to God mm -hmm. as I was journaling. And so it was like all kind of unfolding in this journaling process. It was like, oh, that's why I felt the way I felt when someone said X, Y, Z. And then it prepared me to then go, like, if I go back to that situation, I can articulate what it, what it made me feel, why I felt that way. And, you know, not to blow up on them or to be, yeah. like, accusing or yeah. whatever. That's a good point. I know a couple of years ago um, I said something just kind of nonchalantly, whatever, um, and Christy just, I mean, the look on her face was like, she was just like ramping up to get mad. And I'm like, so she started saying something like, well, hold on a second, time out. I'm like, when I said, I can't, I can't, I wish I could remember the word, but it was just something innocuous. I said, what do you, when I say this word or whatever, what does that mean to you? And so she told me and it's like, oh no, no, that's not at all. It's like when we grew up in Portland, it's like we did X, Y, Z. And like, this is what this meant. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Oh, I didn't know that. So, I mean, <laughs> it's essentially the same thing. It's like you're asking questions of yourself. It's like, why why is this happening? Why am I hurt, mad, angry because of what somebody said? Mm -hmm. They don't know. I, I, I cringe using this word, but I, they don't know what word's going to trigger some bad memory in your past or whatever mm -hmm. from somebody using the same word or same phrase with you. 
You have right. no idea. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And I think that a lot, one thing that helped a lot too with the 33 series was um, keeping a journal mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. I mean, prayer, I mean, it says try keeping a journal of your prayers to God, but it was more, you know, writing down, you know, feelings or, or, or whatever, or like Paul was talking about when the situation arose, like writing out how I felt and kind of walking this. That's what's awesome about God is when you feel a specific way and you don't know where to go as you write things out, God will go like little drops of like, mm-hmm. will kind of steer your hand to write out, oh, geez, this was the path I was supposed to go on, well, not this path. This is how, you know, and, you know, he will not just go, you know, you know, screw your feelings, man. You know? <laughs> right, we try to stuff them down. Yeah, stuff them down. Screw your feelings, man. I don't want to hear about your, your, how sorry, you know, your Eeyore moment, how sorry <laughs> you feel for yourself. I'm not here for that. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, talking, talking through God, you know, I've known times in my life where, you know, sit in the dark, you know, on my bed, just like praying and talking to God. Like, I don't know what to do in this situation. Like, what am I, you know, how yeah. am I supposed to handle, you know, I know that, you know, as you know, Central Valley, there's the email I received a few days ago where it talks about them, you know, teaching, you know, sexual stuff in high school and, yeah. and not, but not great stuff, you know, my, my daughter's school, not in the first second, stuff like that. But it's like, like how, how am I supposed to, you know, deal with this? Because part of me is like, Get angry. Go down there, bust this, this is, you know, this is, this is, this is not good. This is not okay. Pull a bill. Sorry, Bill. Sorry, pull a bill moment. Oh yeah, he shared where, that story. You know, going, going to the school and you know, scaring the crap out of whoever is boy my daughter, so they don't do it again. Yeah. Because being the six four, you know, two hundred seventy pound loud voice that I am, I can scare. You can intimidate people just walking kid up. So if I wanted to, so easily. And, but then, you know, yeah, the repercussions of, okay, you know, the repercussions of your actions that your cops show up, you know, some kid cries to their mom who cries to, you know, or my daughter gets kicked out of, yeah, of whatever. And <clears throat> just understanding that, you know, your initial reaction to what is going on isn't the best, but praying about it and like, okay. Yes, they're not teaching to my daughter now, but you know, being being self aware of when that time comes, yeah. if it comes, yeah, or come back, but if it comes, being ready for that moment and not being too shy to talk about about it and you know and be there for my daughter and going, you know, being that supportive father, like okay, let's talk about about this. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you mentioned journaling, um, and I did years ago for a while. And uh, Christy used to ask me, she's like, "Are you writing about me?" I'm like, no, I'm just, you know, my thoughts, whatever. And I've always been deathly afraid. It's like if people read what I wrote about what the what's going on in my head, they're like, "This dude is completely nuts," you know. <laughs> and it's like I never ever wanted anybody to find out. It's like it's kind of some some of the stuff that's going on in my head, right, wrong, or otherwise, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never been a big fan of journaling, but I, yeah. I, 
from time to time, we'll write down stuff I'm thinking about to kind of help work through that because it, it always mm-hmm. helps to get it out on paper. And um, it's like whenever you have a bunch of problems or a bunch of stuff to do, you write them out on paper. So then now they're concrete. They're not all bounced around in your head. And right. the same thing helps with dealing with situation with people. So I can do that. But in terms of keeping a journal on a regular basis, it still right. scares me. Well, now, it's just not, <laughs> yeah. now it's like page after page of red rum. where. <laughs> Or, you weren't no, supposed to tell, or, Chris. Uh, you were supposed to tell me. I'll work on it later. Of dark circles and stuff like that. As uh, long as it's not, you know, anything like that, I know. <clears throat> I'm sure I'll be okay. So, uh, English, you know, uh, in conclusion, uh, I'm looking at, you know, John 16:33. I have told you these things so that in me you have peace, and the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And just remembering that Jesus is always there. He's been there, done that. And he knows what's coming. He knows the future. And you're never, never too far from help. I will mm-hmm. be with you always, even to the end of this age. Well, I think about how Jesus was um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, how he was like bearing his heart and his soul to God, like, like to the Father, you know, and he yeah. was like, giving his heart to God. Like, I mean, he's God giving his heart to God. God. Yeah. 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 But like, how's that work? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But you know, cause like, you know, Jesus also modeled that for us, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. he was, he was rec- identifying the feelings he was feeling about to take on the weight of all of our sin upon himself on the cross. If you can get me out of this, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, not my will, but your will be done. And, um, if this cup should pass for me and, yeah. um, you know, so Jesus did model that for us, you know, about uh, he, he connected with his, the feelings in his heart and he was able to relay them to the father, you know, even though it didn't get him out of it. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Oftentimes we think of prayer as like, OK, but, pray, God, get me out of this situation in he, Jesus he, name. <laughs> he sweat. I believe he's yeah. the Bible says he sweat. He sweat. sweat blood. Blood. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's some that's some serious intense. That's some prayer right there yeah. that you're, you know, bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Just remembering that in the six sessions of this, um, it was to you know, connect you with your past, with your wounds and your victories. Uh, remember to connect to others, your teammates, connect to yourself, which is your own heart, and connect to God mm-hmm. and the story He is telling through your life. Because yeah. you know when the final when the final horn sounds and you know angels start coming down, you're gonna have. You know, I have a story of, of your life, you know, think about like my grandpa or my dad or whatever. I'm sure he's, you know, looking back at his life, the stories he could tell, you know, in, in his life, even now, or, you know, Lance, you know, the stories he can tell even now, he's, you know, not that old. No. But still, he's, you know, the past where God has been in his life. Yeah. And, you know, remembering to not be afraid to to connect with others and not be afraid to connect with God because it is through those two things that I feel that you get the most help with the wounds that are in your life and remembering that, you know, you're never too far from help, no matter where you are, how you feel, whether you're depressed or stressful or whatever it is, you know, that help is always there, whether it's through prayer or seeking out somebody you can trust or finding the closest church or, you know, or you go to a Christian concert where, you know, King Country, whoever's playing, 
and that that special song. I remember that there was a day where we did this thing called Power in the Pit, which was a story of heaven and hell. And there we played in a Coliseum or a church in Coeur d'Alene. And there was somebody who that night was going to commit suicide in their life. And they were a teenager and felt that God was directing them to go to this power in the pit meeting. And we didn't know about any of this. We were having fun, you know, we were dressed up in the 70s clothes and having playing music and doing the, the drama and and they ended up, you know, accepting Christ that night instead of committing suicide. The alternative. And that's, you know, and you think about, you know, uh, Sunday school where somebody brought up you know, I'm a Christian, we're in a Christian school. And it's like, remember, even though you're in a Christian school, even though you have Christian friends, there are still people who are hurting, even if they're coming to church every single day, Sunday, yeah. in Sunday out, Wednesday nights, or mm -hmm. coming on Easter Sunday, stuff like that. Or they might look the part and yeah. still yeah. be dying inside. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like, you know, you want to, I wish they made a, an instrument where, like, you walk through a full body scan, like, mm. and they go, and they're, you need a hug. Yeah, you need a hug. Right? You're, going, you're going through something, you know. Yeah. And yeah. obviously, obviously, it doesn't exist right now. But you know, just for guys, whoever listens to this, you know, just know that it's don't be afraid to step out in boldness and know that you're not going to be judged because you know you went through stuff. Because I guarantee you, there's somebody in your life that has gone through exactly what you've gone through, or worse. So don't wait wait for your mood ring to change color. Tell somebody first, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So anything else you guys want to add as we close this out? It was a great session. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know we kind of sped through it a little bit, but I feel that we hit some pretty pretty major things. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Looking forward to the next book. And thanks again for joining in. Have a good night.